0: Hey everyone, good afternoon, good morning, depending on where you are joining me from. My name is Barton Seaver. I am a chef, author, and I'm sitting on my lav mic and a little bit uncomfortable there. And hey, I am really thankful that you are here with me. Happy New Year to you all in the Ruby family and extended beyond to all of your loved ones. Uh, I'm really excited to be back in this new year with you. It's been a while since I've been with you. And um, I hope that you've had a really wonderful holiday season that you are enjoying this sort of period of winter that we are now in these these darker yet growing lighter months that are ahead of us. And well, hey, this is a good time. It's a nice time to be reflective and learn new things and do all that. So those of you who are new to the Ruby family, a sincere welcome to you. This is so much fun to have you, and congratulations on joining such a wonderful group, and we hope that you get so much out of it. These events, like we're doing today, are offered throughout the week, and so many of our lovely and incredibly talented instructors, uh, instructors come to you bringing all of their knowledge, opening themselves up as in like college professors with sort of open office hours. So we welcome you to join us in any of these events and bring any question, anytime. We're always happy to answer it to the best of our ability or to forward it on to someone who can. Any of you who have joined me before, well, I welcome back. To those of you who are new, uh, Bart and Steve, I live on the coast of Maine, the ragged, jagged, delicious coast of Maine on a little saltwater farm where I grow a whole lot of different things. We're here with my wife, my two boys, And uh, yeah, life is delicious. So I'm mostly a seafood cook. However, I have spent my life and career working, traveling, cooking all over the world. So any question is good, but Those of you who've joined me before know that I like to talk about gratitude because cooking, feeding people is an act of love. It is an act of kindness. It is something that we do to care and express our care for others. And the very first ingredient and the most important in any recipe you'll ever cook is gratitude, is presence, is mindfulness. So to begin these sessions, I like to talk about something that I am grateful for, and I hope that you will reflect yourself and think back, and hey, if there's something you're grateful for you want to share with us, please throw it into the queue there. But today, uh, I'm thankful for an experience that I had last night. I was walking back up from the harbor to the house here, and uh, well, in winter, you don't often smell life, right? You smell cold. You smell salted pavement. You smell you know, smoke in the air, the crispness, the blood close to your skin and your nose, just sort of the vitality of self, but not necessarily the vitality of the world around us. But there was this little stand of cedar trees that were just ebullient, that were being so expressive and charming. And that wonderful scent of cedar was just sort of wafting through the air, punctuated by a little bit of smoke in the background. Oh, man. It was incredible, it stopped me in my tracks and just gave me such a wonderful moment to pause and I really appreciated it. And it reminded me of two poems that I wanna share with you just because I'm a romantic. I mean, all cooks are romantics at heart or in reality. But uh, two poems for you, very different one. One's from Charles Wright called The Woodpecker Pecks But The Hole Does Not Appear, which is a lovely meditation on our purpose. And then also The Summer Day by wonderful Mary Oliver. These have absolutely nothing to do with citrus. They have nothing to do with cooking, other than the fact that cooking and citrus are both, well, it's a human undertaking, so let's be human about it. And with that, let's dive into citrus. Thanks for obliging me, my little quirks. Anyway, so there is a lot to discuss about citrus. It is one of the most universally used ingredients. It has a place in cuisines the world over, uh, even in places where citrus could never grow northern cuisines, etc. But it has become so such an important and foundational part of cooking. And it is something that's very close uh, and near and dear to my heart in, in my recipes because, well, citrus just makes everything taste better. I think that citrus acid really is what I'm after here. Uh, acts much like salt. Salt enhances the natural flavors in things. It makes whatever you put it on taste more like itself, as opposed to, say, pepper, right? Pepper, when you add it to something, makes things taste more like pepper, right? But salt enhances, and acid does the same. It sort of brings out the natural ebullience and sort of the, just the character of ingredients that we're using, whatever it's paired with, plus citrus in all of its different forms, add all these subtle nuances and the flavors, floral aromas of their own. So it becomes an incredibly charismatic ingredient. But really, essentially, what it does is it helps us to add balance to our food and balance that structure, that tension between different sort of taste profiles is what makes food so compelling, ultimately. That's what makes us want to go back to it, bite after bite after bite, right? I mean, that's what keeps us interested. Anyway, so there's a whole lot of different citrus, and we have a wonderful question that uh, I saw come up first, which is, uh, what is it? uh, What makes citrus citrus? From Erica L. I mean, what an intense, awesome, innocuous, yet amazingly deep question, right? I mean, that's that's deeply philosophical. So Erica L., thank you. Welcome to the program. Uh, what makes citrus citrus? Well, over in the references there, I click that link and you'll have, I think there's five documents in there. We'll talk about the other four, those infographics. But uh, we put in sort of just a little guide about what citrus is in there for you and just sort of where it came from, how it's evolved, et cetera, that coming from National Geographic, so Erica, check that out. But basically, citrus started in South and East Asia and has thus spread all over the world uh, due to economies that have been created for it, and it's now grown uh, basically across, well, the entire equatorial swath of the world. Um, Citrus comes in myriad forms, because of the unique nature of the genus of citrus, it's able to cross-breed and cross-pollinate in so many ways. And so it, it's just um, seemingly an infinite variety of citrus out there. Uh, that's something that I experienced once when I was on an expedition uh, with National Geographic. I was an explorer for National Geographic for many years. Um, part of a different life. It's all part of the same, but uh, I was down there in the Bolahasoneñe Natural Reserve in the Peruvian Highlands over in the east, uh, the western part of the Amazon, and there in the most biodiverse part of the terrestrial world, uh, we were just walking through the jungle and there would just be citrus, and I would pick one and taste it and ask our native guides about it, and they said, I don't know, I've never seen it before. So it's an incredibly diverse category. Uh, the other thing about citrus that I have, who's growing up, I grew up in an El Salvadorian, in an Eritrean, Ethiopian neighborhood in Washington, D.C., and did most of our grocery shopping at Little Bodegas, where citrus was a huge thing. So it's always been a part of my life, and I'll talk about where to buy citrus and how to buy it once we get into that. But also, uh, in relation to the season, the holiday season that's just passed, you know, there's the great tradition um, In Dickensian novels, as well, about getting an orange in your stocking at Christmas, and just imagine how cool that would be. I mean, oranges, right? You just orange juice is something that's so, you know, simple and ubiquitous in our world. But to taste something sweet, something fresh, something so vibrant and pure as a delicious orange in, say, a world 200 years ago when we didn't have the globalized food systems and ubiquity of food that we have. I mean, just imagine how special that would be on Christmas morning to pull something like this out of your stocking and to peel it off layer by layer like a present and eat segment by segment and just that juice in the ass. Wow, how cool is that, right? Yeah, and we think citrus nowadays is just this commonplace thing, but no, it is actually that exciting. So with that, let's talk about how to buy citrus, Uh, and mostly let's talk about, well, lemons and limes, the most commonly used citrus in cooking, really, Uh, and then we'll get into oranges, and I've got a whole bunch of different things in front of me, so the first thing I wanna talk about, limes, because they're, they just sort of showcase what I'm gonna be talking about. When I look for citrus, A, I do a lot of shopping at ethnic markets, and the produce at ethnic markets tends to be, well, ripe. It tends to be, I think, more flavorful. Uh, it tends to not ha- sort of stick to the aesthetic, the unrealistic aesthetic uh structure that you know you find in most Western grocery stores where everything has to be perfect. You find blemish limes. You find ones with lots of different color on the skin. And you know what? To me, that's a good thing because this lime tells me immediately that it tastes better than that uniform green hard thing that's going to have a very thick pith, uh, which is the white layer on the inside. And it's probably not going to have much juice. But you look at this and I can tell that this is a nice ripe lime. It's going to be Super aromatic when gently scratched with your with your thumbnail or whatever. You can see that it's soft. That means it's full of juice. You don't want them to be too soft because that means it's overripe. Uh, but ripeness indicates a balance between sweet and sour. Uh, but also that it's full of juice. So the parts of citrus, you have on the outside the zest, which is the very thin skin layer. And then you have the pith, which is that white, well, let's you know, just... Peel this up, right? And uh, you have the white part, the pith, which is underneath, which is really quite bitter and not very useful. Uh, You can candy it, you can boil it, etc. But I tend to shy away from, well, buying citrus that really has that thick pith to it. And then on the inside you have the, uh, the segments, then you have the connective tissue and all that, and then you have the seeds. There you go. There's your citrus. So how to buy citrus? look for something that looks ripe, that has some texture to it, that has some little give to it when you squish it. Uh, that's aromatic and well, that just looks fresh. So those are limes, uh, lemons, the same thing. I don't like the the big thick giant lemons. They're going to have that big thick pith and they're going to have not much juice to them. My favorite lemon is a Meyer lemon. And we'll talk about that when we get into the varieties. But so, sort of how to buy how to look at lemons if you're looking at oranges the mandarins something like that you want something where the skin is pretty firmly attached sometimes you'll see a mandarin orange or this which is a honey tangelo honey tangerine Uh, the skin can sort of feel like it's just too big for the citrus like a a guy wearing a suit that's too big it just kind of hangs hangs off right so if you see that i tend to avoid those try and get them where there's still some give to them, but that the skin or the peel is uh, intact. So, here you go with that. So let's talk about how to use them, those different segments, those different sections of it. So, the first thing that we use is the zest. Now, to remove zest, you can either peel it off using a peeler into broad, wide, thin strips. Uh, let's give you an example of that. And the way to, you would do that you want to go uh, pretty shallow. You don't want to get much of that pith in there. So you're looking for something like that where you don't have much of that white and these nice thin long strips. Now I would do this if I was looking to flavor, aromatize something like a tomato sauce, maybe a monkfish braised in a tomato stew with onions and garlic and a little bit of cinnamon in there and some lemon zest. So giant big chunks of lemon zest like this, which can be then removed later on. Same thing if you were steeping this into coconut milk to make a type of panna cotta or a cooked cream dessert, something like that. Where you would want to remove the zest later, put it in big pieces. Mulling cider, mulling red wine, whatever it is. That's why I would use strip. Otherwise, I use microplane which is one of the essential tools in my kitchen. I use it for, well, a whole lot of things from grating garlic and ginger to citrus zest. I grate nutmeg and mace on it, other spices, cinnamon too. So I've got a couple of these because, well, one I use for garlic and the other I use for things that I don't want to taste like garlic, right? So to zest, you can do it a couple of ways. Most people just work with, boop. Yeah, Most people just work like this and if you're over a bowl that's fine, but if you want to uh, collect it a little easier use instead of moving the citrus over the microplane you use the tool to grate the citrus and that way it all stays right in that little um, canal there and then get it out real easy. Now if you are doing something like this, I don't recommend using the entire microplane. Why? Well, because then it ends up all throughout. What I do, use work in one small section of it right there so that you maintain as many of the volatile and tasty oils in there as well as you just have less to clean up and it's a little more organized and, well, just easier to get at, right? So there's zest. Zest can be used in myriad ways. It basically has a place in everything uh, from salad dressings to just garnish over a piece of grilled fish, whatever it is, infusing oils, uh, you name it. it. It's good for everything. So there's that. Let me grab a knife. Next, juice. Right. So in order to juice, I always cut across the equator. So uh, flower end, stem end, I cut across the equator of it. And you know what, if you're juicing just one lime, one lemon, fine. You can just do it as is. I do have a citrus juicer, one of these things. It's about $10, $12 or so. And you know what, if you're doing a whole bunch of things, or if you're using citrus that's not great, where it's really dense and, and not so juicy, this comes in really handy. And if you're trying to do a quart of lemon juice, save your elbow you're going to get tendonitis. My dad actually gave himself tendonitis by squeezing too many limes to make margaritas once. Yeah. My dad has a margarita injury. That's awesome. I just think that's awesome. Anyway. Hey dad, I hope you're watching. If you are, I love your margarita injury. It's wonderful. So these work very simply, straightforward. Yeah. That's how you use the, get the, the juice. So, Next thing is segments, and i got to get a different knife. Sorry, folks. All right, segments. So let's do an orange here. Segments are to get those individual pieces out of there. So start by cutting off the stem and the flower end, and then you have slice off the... I think you can see me over here, but um, go down. Pole to pull, taking off just that white part and the peel, trying not to get too much of the, uh, the flesh itself, so that's about as, as much as you'd possibly want to get there. And then you have those segments separated by that little piece of pith, uh, those white. So the way that I do it, and you can use a small knife, I actually tend to like to use a big knife, so you can do it two ways you're going to cut on either side of those. So you can cut down one side and down the other, and then you end up with that perfect little segment of it, which is a nice little useful garnish, throw in the salads, etc. Or what I tend to do is just a little bit quicker is I'm right handed. So I'll go in on the left side and then you rotate out and just push and you just kind of scrape it off. And once you get your groove down, you end up getting absolutely all of that flesh off it, leaving that pith very, very clean, getting the largest segments that you can. And those can look like that. Obviously, if you have seeds in there, just pull those out gently. There you go. Delicious segments. You go all the way around, get it out, and then you still have a little bit of juice that's going to be left in here. So what do you do with that? Just squeeze it out, drink it, put it in a put it in a drink, mix it up, whatever you want to do. Now, those of you who are wondering what the heck this is, well, that's a blood orange. It shows up well on screen, so I chose to use that. Blood oranges are a very cool thing, and we'll talk about those when we get down to the species. So those are the segments. Now, something um, that, we've, that I've seen a lot of recently, and food magazines love to do this uh, in the past, it's been a trend over the past couple of years, Is when making salads or segments, they might start the same way that I did. So get down to this, and I had cut this lemon in half prior. And then, that's kind of hard to do, they'll cut across. So you end up with these sort of star-shaped or these segments that look like this. Now, of course, this looks lovely on the cover of a food magazine, right? I mean, if you have blood oranges, if you have grapefruit, if you have different lemons and you have limes and all these different colors, this beautiful mosaic, which you can put onto this plate, and ah, it's absolutely lovely. But you know what? It doesn't eat very well. Why not? Why not? Well, because you have all of this connective tissue between, which is rather chewy to me, it's quite bitter. Uh, To me, it's a distracting texture. And, well, it makes it also hard to serve, and it also makes it hard to integrate a bite if you have this giant piece of orange and the red onion and the black olive and the piece of mint that are there as garnish on your Sicilian salad. Well, It just doesn't integrate very well. So, I tend not to slice things this way. It looks beautiful if you're doing a citrus cake, something like that. Absolutely, it's the way to go. It has its uses, but there you go. All right. So, there you go. That's how you sort of use citrus or work with it. So, I want to take a couple of questions here, and then um, we're going to get into the different species. I'm going to talk about. when to use citrus, when to use the zest, the juice, and the segments, the the difference between the different species, as well as we'll talk about sort of when to use lemons and when to use limes, right? Because, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that. So, all right, let's dive into it. Looking for a good vegan recipes using citrus from Gene E. Hi, how are you? Welcome, glad you joined us. Lots and lots and lots of vegan recipes using citrus because it is such a charismatic ingredient and because it brings out so much flavor in whatever you put it in. It adds, well, yeah, it just makes everything better as we talked about it in the beginning. So, any specific recipes? I love uh, braising vegetables. Uh, I think that a lot of vegetables benefit from long, slow cooking, uh, which really. Softens their flavor, it really blooms them, matures them in a way like broccoli. If it's quickly steamed or blanched, yeah, it's absolutely delicious. A little bit of crunch, it's still very sort of vibrant. But you know what? Broccoli long, slowly cooked in a, just a little bit of tomato paste, water, and some almonds. Put the top on it, put it in a low oven, cook it for maybe 45 minutes to upwards of an hour and a half. Slow, low, let those flavors really meld together. And at the end of it, take it out, drop a few drops of lemon juice in there, or just garnish it with a bunch of lemon segments, as I had those Meyer lemon segments, especially. Man. So you're, what you're going to do is just really, really develop those flavors in the vegetables and then sort of bring it back to life. Bring the best of both worlds with the citrus uh, is my favorite way to, to use that with vegetables. Certainly the, the, the zest can enliven and bring things back as well. But uh, hey, vegan recipes with citrus, uh, there are so very many of them. Um, I'm not sure where on Ruby we would, we would have a, sort of a storehouse of those, but certainly Forks Over Knives uh, has plenty, plenty. But try that. Any of the, the green vegetables, long, slow, low cook, and then garnish them with a, a little salsa of Meyer lemon segments, maybe some finely chopped shallot uh, mixed in there, a little bit of olive oil, like as a salsa on top. So there you go. Hey, thanks for your question. I appreciate it. And a lot of you were interested in that question, a lot of you voted it up, so thanks. All right, uh, from Aisha. Aisha T, I hope I pronounced that right. A-I-X-A, beautiful name. Where is best to keep citrus? On the counter, in the fridge? Lately, our bags is less expensive to buy bags, you're absolutely right— contain a few bad ones, no matter how well we inspect. I agree with you on that. So going back to buying just a couple at a time. So I'm, I'm with you on this. Um, yeah, it pains me to pay 99 cents for a single lemon. Uh, when I was growing up, as I mentioned, I shopped in these little bodegas, which I my mean, limes were 10 for a dollar, 15 for a dollar, uh, mostly because in the cuisines for the For the cultures that uh, these bodegas were serving, it was just such an omnipresent uh, ingredient and there were so many used. Um, And so the stores could buy riper limes. They could buy more of them, the off-market limes, and sell most of them because they knew, you know, Western cuisine, you walk in the store and you buy one lime. Well, in El Salvadorian cuisine, you go in and buy 10. And that's that's your daily rational limes. So buying them from ethnic markets is a great way to start. Uh, But buying them piece by piece I keep everything in the fridge and even up here in Maine where our room temperature stays pretty constant and we have uh, good humidity. We live right on the coast, so we have very good humidity. I still find that they, uh, they just lose their vibrancy pretty quickly and they end up uh, looking pretty off. For example, this lemon that I bought last week that, I left on the counter. Yeah. Look at that. I and mean, that's like a Christmas tree ornament at this point. So yes, they can dry out really quickly, especially in, I found in the winter. So I keep them in the refrigerator to help with the humidity, especially in winter. Um, you know what, if you keep them in a crisper drawer or with your vegetables, whatever, they're not going to pick up off flavors. Uh, if anything, they're going to perfume other things with citrus, perfume, which is beautiful and wonderful and great. So, uh, nothing negative there. I wouldn't store them next to your garlic just, just because, um, so yeah, that's what I'd say. And if you're not buying so many pieces at a time, then you're not taking up a whole lot of room in your fridge with that. So cool. Thank you, friend. Well, hi, Karen S. Nice to see you. Martin, I love a great clementine. I look forward to their season every year. But what I hate is when I open it up and the fruit is dry and tasteless. Do I have a foolproof way to tell if the fruit will be juicy or dry? Thanks. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, absolutely. it's <laughs> Clementines are so good. They're just like this perfect little fruit. There's like, you know, those baby bell cheeses, the well, ones the individual what the wrapper like they're just so much fun to unwrap clementines are exactly the same way there's just like these little gifts and like this yeah engaging little snack there they are wonderful uh really at the beginning of the season uh you're going to get the best stuff i find that the dry and tasteless ones um are, are coming either you just get unlucky and you get a bad batch of them i've found that i find that more often with clementines from spain than those that uh, come from morocco the ones from morocco tend to be just more consistent and that is completely anecdotally and that might just be a 100 percent a main thing i i don't know but um uh other than that you, you're looking for them just as i said with other citrus you want uh, the peels to be slightly loose, to have some give to them. Uh, also they should feel heavy, you know, a a clementine that has no juice in it is going to be lighter than a clementine that has a lot of juice in it. Um, so weight per sort of volume is one way to go. And I can't give you a foolproof way to analyze that other than just through learned practice. Um, I just try bags next to each other, etc. And you know what? You can always just open one up, right? I mean, yeah, you just buy one and go open it. Why not? That's what I do. Especially when you're at a, well, at ethnic markets. Uh, oftentimes, I see them. The little Asian market that I shop at here that sells them by the piece instead of by the bag, and so you have a little bit more control over what you're getting. So, awesome. Hey, there you go. All right, let's dive into a couple of other things, and we'll get to some other questions. Um, So I wanted to talk about when to use zest and when to use juice. So both of these things are... They add that intense citrus flavor, but the zest really adds aroma, uh, really adding uh, sort of seasoning things, whereas juice Uh, If used in a large recipe, say your braised broccoli, where it is one, it is, you know, infusing into the sauce, um, it's going to, the, the zest adds no acid to it. It adds the hint of it because we're We relate the smell of citrus to the taste of citrus, so it adds that hint of acid, a psychological hint of acid, um, but it doesn't actually change the chemistry necessarily of the dish in the way that juice does. So if you think about it that way, there's the difference between uh, juice and zest. So if you're making a curry, something where you want it aromatized, but you don't necessarily want to dilute it or add all of that acid to it, use the zest. Uh, When it comes to vinaigrettes, also just think about the intensity of citrus flavor that you're looking for. Are you making, you know, a beautiful salad of bitter green or, you know, bitter radicchio's with lots of soft, fresh, vibrant herbs like chervil and parsley and cilantro and dill picked and scattered around? Yeah, well, there I would say you want light, bright citrus flavor, so I would go with zest mixed into your vinaigrette there, uh, as opposed to the super intense acid in that, which is going to, I think, actually counteract some of the freshness of the herbs and of the, uh, the bitter greens. So if you are making sort of a regular salad where you have a mix of red oak leaf lettuce, those soft lettuces and arugulas and other things, a citrus vinaigrette, especially and punctuated with you know a vibrant, spicy olive oil, is going to be a perfect component there. So just think about sort of the character and nature of the other ingredients that you're using the citrus to enhance and how much you want them enhanced. When do you use segments? Segments really are as a garnish. Uh, it's a way to finish a dish. When you cook segments, they, well, they break down. Citrus is not a very hearty uh, structure and texture. The only time I would cook them is if I'm making, say, a brown butter sauce for a piece of seared vegetables or roasted vegetables, etc., or a piece of fish. Uh, and at that point, you cook them very, very briefly, basically make your sauce, get it all the way done, and then throw in your your segments at the very end or you can use segments to make salsas and if you click on the event document link just there under me you will see uh, there are four recipes and we can talk about those but the, I believe the last one in that list is an avocado and citrus shallot and chili salsa that I use to top its diced avocado citrus segments you can use Meyer lemon orange whatever you want uh, shaved fresh chili. I like Fresno's and Serrano's for this for their flavor to heat balance. Maybe some chopped shallot for a nice crunchy texture. A glug of olive oil if you want. You can leave it out. But man, that fatty richness of the avocado, the segments there, just the cool contrasting textures and flavors. Acidity and fat works really really well. So, um, The other thing about citrus and two forms that we didn't talk about are leaves, another way to aromatize. So these are lime leaves. Um, oh my gosh. And the smell of them is so overwhelming and wonderful. If you've ever had a tom Kha soup, uh, some of the Thai soups, and I believe, I, I'm not an expert on Thai cuisine at all, but that is the flavor, that, uh, that aroma that you smell. It doesn't add a whole lot of flavor, but it adds this huge aroma to it. It brightens things, but it also adds this uh, just wonderful depth of flavor. And I think about it's like a bay leaf crossed with you know, with a lime in terms of those scents and flavors so those are to be simmered into things uh, and it simmered in briefly they lose their flavor and become a little bitter if cooked too long so i will add this just a couple of leaves maybe to a pot of just chicken and rice soup that i'm making for just for the last 10 minutes or so to steep use it like tea uh, if you will uh, in terms of how to aromatize recipes. And then uh, some other forms, Just citrus flavor, not citrus though, lemongrass. So a common in Southeast Asian cuisine, this is not very good quality lemongrass because it's been sitting in my fridge for a long time, but adds a lot of that flavor. It has a slightly spicy gingery characteristic to it. And then there is dried fermented and preserved citrus. So I've got here some black lime. These are fermented dried whole limes that are commonly used in Middle Eastern and Northern African cuisine. I first ran into them when I was living and working in Morocco. Um, Just a brilliant bold ingredient and completely unique in terms of its flavor. I got this from a wonderful spice company called Burlap and Barrel burlap and barrel black lime powder, Uh, mix that with a little bit of salt, sprinkle it on top of things before cooking them, sprinkle it on top of roasted vegetables coming out of the oven, let their heat sort of bloom uh, the aromas of this, but really wonderful. You can also have dried lemon and orange zest, you know, McCormick spices, whatever it is in the common spice aisle. I don't really recommend those. I don't love them. I don't find them to be very charismatic. But then the last uh, one I want to talk about is preserved lemons. And one of the recipes in that event document there is for preserved lemons. Another ingredient that I encountered first when I was living and working in Morocco. uh, These are cut um, down to the stem end. You want to cut most of the way through, but leaving the quarters intact. So it sort of blooms out like a flower a little bit. And then pack them full of kosher or sea salt. Let them sit in a bowl for a little while, and that will exude out a lot of that juice and form this own very intense lemon-salt brine. And then pack them into a jar as tightly as you can. Top it off with a little more salt and water, making sure that they're fully submerged. And then just let them sit. Uh, the recipe says to let them sit out of, out of light. Um I concluded that just because that's common in a lot of recipes that I've seen. I have not necessarily noticed the difference, Um, but it takes about a month for the flavor to really mature. And the flavor is incredible. It's this gin like floral aroma. That's just completely overwhelming. Are they salty? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. They are very, very salty. And the way to use them is to just use the very outer peel, basically the the fruit segments on the inside become too salty to use as they are, I will puree them into a large batch of tomato sauce, et cetera, something like that where that salt from this becomes the seasoning salt for the entire dish. Um, I will use a little bit of the brine to maybe brine a piece of salmon, etc., uh, et cetera, season some vegetables before roasting them. So there's ways to use it, but, This is not a preserved lemon. These are not quite ready yet, so I don't want to break into those. So you cut off the inner segment. Use that for whatever you will. And then this is wholly edible, and you want to cut it into as small of a piece as you possibly can. I like cutting them into very thin strips. These just little wispy sort of confetti strips of zest. Add them in at the beginning of cooking or at the end. It's a really hearty... um, Ingredient and that adds so much flavor in any which way you use it: vinaigrettes, marinades, etc., desserts, you name it. So I know that we had a question about preserved lemons. How do I like to use them? I literally use them with everything. I have a jug of labneh or like Middle Eastern yogurt, like a Greek yogurt style. dense and rich and I'll take some preserved lemon zest and I'll chop it up as as I just did and mix it into that put that on crackers uh, or then or even just put that over some pieces of fruit as a dessert adding some richness but also that wonderful flavor so there's a number of ways to use them I really like to mix them with nuts though and use it as a salsa it's a very quick very easy but very flavor impactful way to sauce anything um that you're that you are cooking and adds great texture as well one more thing you can always put it in booze too any kind of citrus so this was um, some aquavit that i had sitting around uh, a little bit of maple syrup and some tangerines that i had and just mixed those together uh, let it sit on some sugar for a little while Uh, along with the maple syrup and then uh, on the zest and with the pith as well I like a little bit of bitterness in there for about 10 days and then mostly strained it off I didn't do I didn't try and get all of it out I like a little bit of cloudiness in there but a little nip of this while you're cooking whenever it's wonderful put a little mint sprig in there a rock of ice cube and there you go, delicious. All right, let's get to some questions here. Got about 20, 25 minutes left, and we got a bunch of questions, so I'm excited to see so many of you here joining today. Again, my name is Barton Siever, and I'm really pleased that you have joined us at this event, and please join any of the events in the future. So from Shelly A, I love grilled pineapple and smoky flavor of grilled lemons. What are your favorites to grill, and have you ever grilled starfruit? You know, I've never grilled starfruit. Um, I gotta say that I've never been a big fan of starfruit or carambola uh, as I knew it growing up. Um, carambola. Um, I've never grilled that, but I imagine that would improve its flavor quite a bit. I've never found it to be a very charismatic ingredient. Uh, hmm. But you know what, I'm gonna try that, thanks for that. So grilled pineapple is wonderful. Grilled fruit across the board is a really wonderful thing, especially just slightly underripe fruit that's still gonna have a lot of acidity because when you grill, or when you cook anything with sugar, you're reducing the water content, thus increasing the impact of the sugars there, caramelizing them some, so sort of altering them, making them a little bit more potent and pungent on the palate, Um, so I love grilling peaches and it's just the most wonderful thing. When I'm done grilling my main meal and all the vegetables and all the parts, then I'll just take some, just a day or two under-ripe peaches, cut them, take out the pit, put them down right over the coals, cut off the air, put the top on, and then go eat dinner. And hopefully I'll remember the peaches because by the time I do, well, they are perfectly cooked, soft, super supple, aromatic, and a little bit smoky throughout, just incredible. Grilling citrus is really amazing, too. Uh, grilled lemons, uh, in fact, are one of my very favorite sauces. Uh, just take a lemon, you know, slice at the equator, uh, and just grill it, or even roast it, saute it, sear it on that cut side. Those juices reduce, those sugars caramelize, the balance of sweet and, uh, sweet and tangy come just into perfect balance together. It's a really wonderful thing. It's a sauce in and of itself. There you go. And one of the other recipes that I included there was for a um, a maple a tangy maple syrup lemonade, a hot lemonade that I called sick tea. I made make this for my wife whenever her throat's a little scratchy, etc. But um, a couple different versions. But it's maple syrup, a little bit of chili pepper. I like uh, chipotle uh, because of the smoky in there. So water, grilled lemons or just regular lemons, lemon zest, bunch of juice. Throw it in there. Just simmer it away. Sweeten it to your taste if you so desire, throw in some ginger, whatever you want. It's this just wonderful thing. I have a, a lot of times during the winter, I'll just have a giant pot of it in the back and I'll just warm it up every now and then over the course of a couple of days and oh, it's wonderful to have back there, so. Hey, thanks for the question, appreciate you. All right, from Rolanda, hi. Is it true that citrus fruit alkaline uh, my water to help create more alkaline body? You know what, I don't know about this. Um, but citrus being acid, uh, well, is the opposite of alkaline, um, basic alkaline. So I imagine that it would help bring into balance, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on that. It's not an aspect of cuisine or nutrition that I've really dove into. So sorry, I can't be of better help to you there. But you know what? I'll pass your question around to some of the other Ruby folks. And if there's uh, someone there with a better answer then we'll shoot that over via email. Hey, thanks, Rolanda, appreciate you. From Aristella, hi, friend, nice to see you again. Any ideas on what to do with the leftover abundance of kumquats? <laughs> yes, uh, kumquats are wonderful. They're one of the few citrus that I don't have here, those little, beautiful, bite-sized, grape-sized um, citrus that I love to eat whole. So uh, I don't know what dietary, Culture you stick to, if, but if you're uh, if you eat chicken or seafood, uh, I love roasting a chicken with a whole bunch of kumquats, uh, a whole bunch of a hand, bunch of handfuls of pistachios, and some shallots. Uh, toss those together with a little bit of olive oil, just the whole kumquats, and throw those around the chicken while roasting it. They're going to caramelize and reduce down, roast down into these incredible flavor bombs. The pistachios are going to suck up some of those orange oils as well as a little bit of the juices, which will aromatize everything. Your house will smell amazing. I, oh my gosh, it's incredible. But whether you're roasting a whole head of cauliflower or Romanesco cauliflower, whatever it is, it's a wonderful thing to throw around your roasts. Um, it adds just such a beautiful visual appeal. It The aroma is incredible and so enticing. So if it's just roasted root vegetables, especially things like turnips and rutabagas that... I think need a little bit of sweet to really bring out the best in them it's a wonderful way uh i once another another idea was i mean this idea is a little bit past us now that we're in january <clears throat> but i spent uh, i took my wife to paris for christmas for a month because i've been working for national geographic and it, i had been on the road for about nine and a half months that year and we just needed to be together and not do the family rush of christmas and here and there and everywhere we just needed to be together so we just went to Paris for a month, and our friend over in the, over in the 11th lent us her apartment, um, Rue Fidère Chalini. And we stayed there, and we had this little Christmas tree that we, that we got in this little apartment. And we got a whole bunch of kumquats, and we just strung them together on thread, and we used that, those as our ornaments all the way around. And gosh, that Christmas tree smelled good. <laughs> so, um, Yeah. Completely impractical, but there's a story for you. Hey, Aristella, I wish you best. Nice to see you again. From Mary M. Thank you for sharing your time and knowledge with us today. You are, of course, welcome. What three kitchen appliances tools would you say you simply can't live without? Huh? Well, wow, three, huh? We gotta reduce it down to three. Wow. Well, a really good knife. Right? I mean, it's it's the one thing that almost every time you walk into the kitchen you're going to be picking up. So invest in a good knife. That doesn't mean you have to spend money. It means you have to spend your time, care, and attention on it. Um even a $25 chef's knife can last for a very long time if you know how to sharpen it, you keep you take care of it, you don't let your five-year-old open, you know, tin cans with it, etc. Um, you discourage, uh, your wife from opening packages with it, etc. you know, things like that. You just care for it. It will last forever. So a knife subsequent to that, a big cutting board, a big cutting board is really key to me. I've got this beautiful John booze block, uh, this cherry, uh, one of the 18 inch, 24 inch, even inset into my counter so that it doesn't move around and that I can clean around it, et cetera, as well. But a big cutting board, helps you with one of the most fundamental tasks in cooking, which is organization, right? And cooking is something that demands our attention. When we're doing it, applying heat to things, it goes quickly. Being organized ahead of time is so essential. <clears throat> and a big cutting board can help us do just that. You can have your chopped garlic sitting over here. You can have your shallots and your scallions over there. You can have your lemon segments here, etc. It becomes a useful sort of home base the point of organization for your kitchen. So a big cutting board to me centrally located is, is key. Um, And if you see my kitchen, you know, my action, the action that I do in a kitchen is here. I have a lot of my ingredients here. I have an under counter refrigerator right here. And I have my cutting board here and the sink right there. So basically, and this is how I designed my restaurants. Is, and all my dishes in a restaurant, is that if a line cook couldn't execute a given dish, I would literally tape, tape a foot, one foot to the floor, and if line cook or myself, I, I, I wasn't abusing them, it was just, this was a practice thing. Tape one foot to the floor, and if you can't do everything that you need to do without picking up that one foot, then either the dish was poorly designed the kitchen wasn't set up right etc but everything revolves around the cutting board to me so that's just sort of the fundamental of how i organize my kitchen and then another tool i would say i I love i love a microplane it's simple Uh, you don't use it in everything it's but when you need it whether it's for garlic whether it's for zest whether it's for fresh spices etc and Even freezing some strawberries and grating them on like this just it, it, it allows you to be so creative It allows you to really get the most out of ingredients um, So there you go One more I'm gonna go with four uh, Every year for Christmas I get myself or ask my wife to get me these little wooden spatulas I love them. I get them on Etsy. Uh, you know, these are small crafts people. You know, they're 10, 12 bucks a piece or something. They don't last forever, especially cause I bang them on the side of pots a lot. And so they get kind of harried over here, but you know what? They're beautiful. They're fun. They, they look nice. They feel nice. I just get them on Etsy as I said. And, uh, I have some, you know, they work on every pan that I have from nonstick to copper to, to cast iron, etc. So I really like those as well. All right. There you go. Hey, Miriam. Thank you so much. From Darien, hi. I use lemon peel and juice to substitute for salt in recipes. Do you have any suggestions regarding this? Happy New Year to you and your family. Well, thank you. And right back at you. Um, Do I have any suggestions for that? So yeah, well, going back to zest, I think that zest is something that can be used uh, at the beginning of cooking. So you can season, whether it's a piece of salmon or whether it's your roasted you know, root vegetables before they go into the oven. Uh, zest can be used to effectively uh, season the whole uh, and add the flavor so it really permeates through the cooking process. You wouldn't want to do that if you're, going to be, if you're searing a piece of salmon. You don't want to burn the zest on top. But, uh, so in that way, sort of zest acts like salt. Juice is sort of what I would add at the end unless you're doing a marinade or you're vinaigrette, etc. But that acid, you're absolutely right. As I said at the outset of this event, that salt and acid to me are very, very similar in what they do to food. So the juice applied at the very end is a way to really bring out the ebullience, the, char- the character and charm of ingredients and really bring things into balance. And you really don't need much juice, citrus juice can overwhelm things. So adding it at the very beginning can be a little bit dangerous because you can't take it out. But just a few drops at the very end, uh, is the best way for me and, and how I would regard your question there. Um, so yeah, but you are right on and try a mix of citrus. So, uh, you know what you're looking for with salt is that enhancement right so if you've got meyer lemon which is by the way my very favorite of all citrus this beautiful gin like subtle lavender aroma to them always juicy always beautiful mix a little bit of meyer lemon with a little bit of lime juice or a little bit of orange juice just to create basically a more complex faux salt right Um, you don't want to complicate but complexity is good, complication is not. And the line there is fine, but there you go. Hey, I hope that helps. From Beverly, hi friend, Uh, I love spicy food. Are there any citrus fruits I can use to make food more spicy? Huh, I use jalapenos and everything, and is there something else you use beside the peppers? Well, uh, certainly spice and lime juice is a classic combination. Uh, I don't think that citrus would make things more spicy. Uh, However, when I make guacamole, Uh, I take, and I like spicy, I take serranos, so a step up from jalapenos um, in terms of the the spice factor there. And I will dice them really finely or do it on a microplane. uh, And then I will add the lime juice to the bowl and I will add salt and I will let the chili, the salt and the lime sit together. And what that does is that citrus juice then draws out or absorbs a lot of the flavor of that pepper. And I don't think it necessarily amps the spice up, but it broadens the flavor and I think makes it more, well, more present, and I think more a component of the dish rather than, as jalapenos can do, sometimes sit on top of a dish, right? So you have this dish and then you have heat that just kind of hangs out in this palate part of your palate. So by integrating it more, sort of macerating the chili, the spice into the, Citrus first is a good way to do that, just to carry forth the flavor. Um, If I may, uh, another spice that you would maybe really like and that's really great with, um, really, really great with citrus, and one of my favorites is Urfa Bieber chili. Uh, It's this really seductive, smoky, uh, mature flavor to it. It's not overly spicy at all, but this very robust, deep flavor to it. Urfa. B-bear. U-R-F-A-B-I-B-E-R. And this is from my friends at Scordo S-K-O-R-D-O, which is a main company here. Um, you can you can find this anywhere, but they sell it online. Uh, Scordo.com, maybe Scordo Spices. But um, yeah. Try this one out because I think you'll like it if you're if you're into the jalapeno level heat. Uh, and again, macerate this in the citrus juice before adding it to whatever you do. Uh, I think you dig. Cool. Hey, I appreciate you. Hey, from Shelly, my Meyer lemon tree gives me a lot of fruit a couple times a year. Well, aren't you lucky? We have a Meyer lemon tree that's given us one lemon over the course of eight years. Good for you. I freeze the zest and juice and I give away lots of lemons. There you go, good for you. And other than preserved lemons or lemonade, do you have go-to means or recipe for using lots of lemons? Ah, yes. Um, put them in fruit salad. Yep. Make segments out of them, as I as I did. Uh, and just toss them in with your strawberries. Uh, toss them in with melon. Make a watermelon salad with some feta cheese and lemon segments or lime segments. Uh, there's, there's so many different ways. So as long as you have the balance of enough sweetness uh, or enough bitterness to counteract the uh, volume of sour that you're adding through the citrus, uh, I think you're you're fine. So a lot of fruit salads are good if you're doing just green salads. And if you have some really potent flavors in there like dill, uh, arugula, chervil, mint. Mint is my very favorite ingredient there is. Uh, throwing in whole segments of citrus instead of making a citrus vinaigrette. You know, citrus vinaigrette is going to use half of a Meyer lemon. That's not going to help you with your tree, right? So putting segments in there, though, just changes the nature and presentation of how the citrus is, is perceived on the palate. You get texture, you get crunch, you get these pops, these little flavor bombs that punctuate the dish. So you might use three, four lemons in a salad as opposed to half a lemon in the vinaigrette. So there's another way to do it. Uh, one of my very favorite things, going back to the fruit, so I make a, a dessert, very simple, uh, strawberries, lime segments, and mint. Um, And there you go. And if the strawberries are more aromatic than sweet, I'll add a dash of maple syrup in there, um, just to bring that into balance. But there you go. And Meyer lemons, I mean, this is, to me, this is the perfect citrus, because it is savory, it is sweet, it belongs in just about any application. So there you go. Oh, and a lemonade stand. There you go. Yeah. You can only drink so much lemonade, but how much can you sell on your street corner? Hang <laughs> you go. Hey, Aaron L. I love using zest in a number of dishes. I know it's always great freshly grated, but I read somewhere that you can cut zest. You zest your citrus onto a baking sheet, bake it low temp for a couple hours, and basically dry it out to use in dishes later. Is that true? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, you don't even have to bake it. Uh, given a climate or if, even if you just have a breezy area of your house that's more or less protected, you can just put it out uh, and let it dry out naturally. Uh, there's, It's not going to go bad uh, in the time that it's going to take to dry it. Uh, certainly, the oven is going to be a more consistent, easier, more quick way to do it. I wouldn't do it on a high temperature, certainly. Very low temp. All you're trying to do is dehydrate, not to change or to cook. Um, and in that sense, yeah, I, I said earlier that I don't like dried lemon or orange zest that you find in the jars in the store. And that's true, but making it fresh yourself is a really great way. It, that is a charismatic ingredient. It loses its flavor pretty quickly, um, and just becomes sort of monotone citrus rather than citrus, bright and happy fresh. Um, the other thing to do would be to uh, mix it into salt. You know, zest it, mix it into salt, and just let it sit there. The salt will dehydrate the zest for you. It will draw out that moisture as salt does. It's a humectant to be chemical about it. Um, And then you have (coughs) lemon flavored salt or sugar. Uh, Sugar is also humectant. So uh, then to me, lemon salt, there's nothing that I cook that I would say no to lemon salt as opposed to, oh, I just need regular salt. So (coughs) there you go. Hope that helps. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you. Excuse me. I'm going to take a drink of water, which is over here. Maybe I should just slug down some of that cello. Hmm. Anyway. Oh, you know what? Can I just say something? One of my very favorite things about citrus is the French word for grapefruit, pamplemousse, which I just think is literally the most fun word to say in in just the most fun word to say I know. Pamplemousse. There you go. Hey, all right, Mary Emma. Hey again, right handed and have a disability that limits my left hand fine motor skills. And this affects chopping, holding a hot pan, and other cooking skills. Do you have any suggestions, techniques, or available tools that may help this in cooking? Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm sorry to hear I'm difficult, but I'm glad that you are finding ways around that. So, huh? So, for the pans, for holding a pan, uh, I imagine if, if you're talking about like holding it when uh, trying to stir it, one way to get around that is to use a heavier pan that is going to give you a little more stability and allow you to push it around a, a little bit more. Um, otherwise, um, I think just organization. You know, if you're trying to chop herbs, et cetera, uh, and I find that a lot of people. Sort of do this. They just sort of haphazardly go about the herbs, right? And they're right-handed, and they're just kind of going along. But if you take the time to sort of roll that bunch of parsley onto itself and kind of fold under those long, spindly leaves up, up at the top, so you have this sort of compact bunch, you're sort of using the parsley to hold the parsley. And at that point, you can just kind of put a wrist on it, even to hold it in place, and then come across it. And then here's the other thing about chopping. Uh, which is that the easiest thing to change in the world is yourself, right? It's very hard to change anything or anyone else. <clears throat> change yourself. So if you've chopped the parsley in this direction, right, and you now need to chop it again, most people, when I know, just kind of keep going after it, right? And like to just, the easiest thing to do, keep it organized, come across it one time, and then. Move yourself over here so that you're at a different approach to it. So now you are cross-cutting what you just cut. And so start and go this way, All right? And that way, you're not pushing it around constantly trying to reorganize it, keep the big pieces out of the small pieces, et cetera. So that was sort of one. Yeah, I mean, it's hard hard, hard to know exactly how to tell it. But uh, I found that very useful just for myself, and it, it, just a better result. Um, so there you go. I hope that helps. Yeah, I wish you well. Thanks for joining us again, from Carmen, chef. Your husband and I, he, my husband and I, love to cook blood or love blood oranges. We can only purchase them in much January, sometimes into the first weeks of February in Florida. Is there a way to properly freeze slices or the juice? So yeah, certainly, with the juice, uh, put it in little snack plastic bags. Uh, Lay them out flat on a sheet tray or something clear out some space in the freezer and let them freeze so that they're flat Uh, And then you have bags that you can peel take off of that sheet tray and then store them efficiently if you just Kind of throw it all into the freezer you end up with bags the shape of whatever they were sitting on in the freezer, right? And they're hard to store so in that way then you have these neat little sort of cards that can be organized and and used easily. And then you also know exactly how much is in each bag, whether it's a third of a cup, a half a cup, et cetera, whatever. Um, The other way to do, blood oranges dry really well. If you have a food dehydrator, um, even a toaster oven, regular oven, put them on a sheet tray with a piece of parchment paper and very low oven and let them low, slow, just dehydrate. Uh, Blood oranges rehydrate. Pretty well and if you're chopping them up to put into a fruit salad or a vinaigrette etc it's kind of a nice way to do it simply simmer them in just a a little bit of water it's a nice way to revive them bring them back to life so yeah there you go freezing slices though I don't know if I would freeze the slices um, because the the fibers of the citrus flesh uh, fall apart because they're basically entirely water Uh, And as water freezes and expands, it ruptures the cells that it's held within. And so when it thaws out, those cells are broken and the juice exudes out. And so basically you have juice and now a juiceless slice, uh, which doesn't sound very useful to me. If you want the juice, just freeze the juice. And if you want the slice, I would dehydrate and then try and rehydrate. There you go. Lynn, hi, friend. What are your thoughts about microwaving your citrus before juicing? So I've heard this uh, before. I've actually never tried it. Um, and I've also found that I've never needed it. Uh, if I am buying good citrus is going to yield you a nice, squeezable, juicy citrus from the outset. You're not going to need to really use tricks. For limes, lemons, etc. I would rather roll them just a little bit. I do a, a circular motion with my palm. I don't know if exactly what you can see, um, but you can even just squeeze it. You don't want to explode it, right? You don't want to pop the, lemon, the lime or the lemon, but just crushing it a little bit will help that juice come out. And then also, if you've got a mechanical juicer, something like this, that you can exert mechanical force on, you're just going to get a little bit more out of it. There you go. One other thing about using these uh, oftentimes with lemons or limes, this is smaller than is necessarily be going to go in there. So I will juice the first section, and then I will leave that first section in there, but I will put it on top of the second section, so I am just have a little bit more mass inside the, the bowl here. So there's just a little bit more pressure able to exert on it. And so in that way, I use juice the first and then the second together, and then the second and the third together, etc. as I go down. So those are my tips. From Emma, hi there. Uh, oh, uh, from Iona there, can I demonstrate how best to use the handheld juicer? So, so, I like, sometimes, I like to put the cut side down, frankly. Um, I've just found that I get more juice out of it that way, rather than trying to compress in, also then what's holding your juice, right? You're forcing it into the cup, of the citrus, right? Rather than, you know, and it's kind of trying to bubble it out over the sides. If you put it in cut side down, then you're squeezing all the juice straight down. And the way to do this is just simply squeeze it on. Well, let's see, I got a glass of water, let's do it. Squeeze it on down. And then last thing I do is turn it over because you're going to get a bunch of juice out of that too. And then as I was just talking about, I'll take the next section I'll put the next under there. That first one face up a little more carefully this time because you're gonna get a lot of juice out of there. So there you go. You get a lot of juice out of one lemon. Dang, that's delicious. Hold on, my computer fell asleep here, so I gotta put my code in. There we go. All right. Next question from Emma: Is it important to buy organic for citrus, especially if you're not if you're not using the skin? Um, you know, I I don't really know about this. I am I myself uh, am more careful about some vegetables and fruits than others. Uh, the Environmental Working Group EWG has a great list of. Um, vegetables and fruits that are highly susceptible, well basically that require a lot of pesticide use in conventional farming, and so therefore are tend to have greater concentrations of that, such strawberries, celery, I know are at the top of those lists, um, mostly because they're so soft and they're permeable, and so they absorb into it directly, and also because those plants are just hosts for more pests. Things like broccoli, which are not really the crucif- cruciferous vegetables, which are not so much bothered uh, by pests, there's, they're not sprayed just as much. And so there's less concern than I have over buying organic with broccoli than with others. Um, I don't know about citrus, though. Um, I've just never really looked into that. Um, but I would say that the grind of a citrus, the outside, the peel, uh, is a pretty good barrier. And so, if you're spraying on the outside, I don't, I wouldn't think a lot of it would penetrate into the juice on the inside. So, if that's all you're using it for, but again, that is just me thinking through an answer. Uh, not really an expert on that. So, good question though. You know what? I'm curious about it now. I'm going to look it up. Environmental Working Group, the Dirty Dozen is what it's called their list of the most um, the, of the fruits and vegetables that have the highest concentrations. That's a good question. Great. From Harriet. Hey, Chef Barton. Uh, proper maintenance and cleaning a cast iron skillet. I've been cle- I have cleaning products, but I still notice some rust. Thanks. So rust comes from water. Uh, what I found is like, I, I've got cast iron, I've got cast steel, I've got all sorts of things. Um, I don't mind using soap in mine, quite honestly. I don't scrub them, but sometimes the cast iron just gets a little, there's something that I want to get out of there, like last night's bluefish, etc. You know what? I'll use a drop or two of soap to get that out. I don't mind that. That is my cast iron. This is not yours. I would never use soap on yours because that is, it is, it is your heirloom, not mine. That's how I treat mine. I don't do it all the time. Mostly just a paper towel and wipe them out I don't even use water, but the key is once you're done washing it is to dry it off completely Immediately and then put it away. I don't leave them You know, I've got these these dense towels to the left of my sink here that I I put the rinsed and washed and rinsed dishes on those hold moisture in them I found that if I left a cast-iron pan sitting on top of that, just the moisture that's inside the the towel will eventually cause some rust on the bottom of the pan, etc. So wash it however it needs to be washed, a little soap if necessary, rinse it off, dry it off, put it away. There you go. That is how I treat mine. Thanks, Fred. All right. From Dan V. And I've got, I've got just a few more minutes here and we have so many great questions that I'm sorry. I'm not going to get to them all, but, um, daycare calls. Hey chef. Do I ever make vinegar from citrus? I tried once with orange scraps, but threw it out because I wasn't sure if it was safe. Interesting. There was a white cloudiness in it, which could have been the mother, but there was no way to make sure. Thanks, Dan. Huh? you know, I've never tried and I don't know so much about the chemistry and food safety on vinegar. I make my own vinegars. Um, but wine vinegar, uh, and I just, I don't know about what in citrus, if anything might cause, uh, something to go off, but, um, I'm sorry. I don't really have an answer for you there, but when I, when I first read your question, I thought you were talking about infusing vinegars uh, with citrus, not making them from. But you know what? I have a vinegars, Vinegar Maker's Handbook, uh, I think, which is the, the name of the book. So I'm going to go look that up after this because I have a whole lot of citrus that I bought for this. And then because I was going to make some dishes for you, but then I didn't have time because of daycare. So I have a lot of leftover citrus. So I might give that a try. Thanks for the idea, Dan. Wish you well. From Michelle. Hi, friend. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I skipped Hannah. You live in Maine. Hey neighbor, what market do I shop at? Uh Veranda. Veranda Asian market uh over on Forest Ave um, is really, really great. There's also the um Oh God, there there's the the Middle Eastern market basically just across the street, across from the Little Woodfords, down there at the Woodford corner, uh here in Maine, here in Portland. That's where I shop, that little Asian market. Um there's also some good African markets up on Washington Ave that I like to go to. Uh, there's one. I don't know the name of it, but it's right next to the Red Sea Eritrean restaurant owned by my my dear friend Yamani uh, and his wife right up there. So check out their restaurant. They're doing to-go food only right now, <coughs> but also those African markets and veranda Asian market down on Forest at Woodford. Hey, nice to have you joining us. Um, From Michelle, hey, I'm looking forward to today. What suggestions or advice do you have for a new student in the world of preparing and understanding the importance of seafood? Well, now, I have a whole lot to say about that. Uh, In fact, I did a whole course for Ruby called Seafood Literacy on it, and I've dedicated my entire career and all eight of my books, really, to educating around seafood. So for those of you, I I have eight cookbooks out there in the world. two with National Geographic. One is a kid's cookbook. Uh, One is a grilling cookbook called Where There's Smoke. But other other than that, uh, they're all largely based on seafood and my efforts and role around sustainability and public health. So check those out. But uh, to me, if you decide that uh, seafood is part of your diet, it is, uh, I think, a very important part of it and I think is an important part of our planet's future from a sustainability perspective as we shift away from land animal proteins. Uh, areas like aquaculture have incredible potential to create delicious, healthy, environmentally sustainable seafood. Of course, there's a lot of very unsustainable product out there uh, in any ingredient category you're looking at, not just in seafood. Um, so... With that, I, I would just say I I am a seafood evangelist. I want more people across all demographics eating more seafood more often. Um, so, yeah, check out the Seafood Literacy Course. Check out uh, and go back uh, any of the archived events uh, of mine. I've done a whole lot around seafood. So I, a, a lot of your answers you're looking for would be in there. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate the question, Michelle. Thanks for joining us. From Laura, hey friend, Happy New Year to you. And to all your fellow students at Ruby. Aren't you nice? Thanks so much for hosting. I love citrus fruit and very excited to learn more about them. You're welcome. Can you think of a dish where adding more than one citrus type is good? Are there dishes where the presence of citrus, apart from seafood and lemon, clearly makes a positive difference in aroma, taste, and texture? Thanks. Um, Sure. So I'd mentioned uh, earlier the question about using citrus in place of salt. Uh, mixing orange and lemon juice together perhaps is a nice way to just add complexity to that. Uh, You you don't, again, you don't want to complicate things. Um, Oranges add sweetness. Lemons add citric acid. Limes add more of a malic acid. Orange sits heavy on the palate with that sugar. Lemon uh, (coughs) sort of dances Front and forward, it hits your palate immediately and then fades quickly, whereas lime juice takes a little while to build. Malic acid is more perceived a little bit further back on the tongue than citrus acid, citric acid is. Malic acid also tends to last, I think, a little bit longer in our perception of it. So a balance between lemon and lime adds that complexity, uh, literally just chemically, in our perception. Um, and you know what? You're never going to hurt a dish by adding a different kind of citrus. If a dish deserves, you know, if citrus works in that dish, then any citrus is going to work in that dish pretty much. Um, mixing grapefruit and uh, orange, chopped up fine, you know, in, se- segmented and then cut up into small pieces like a, like you would tomatoes for a pico de gallo, making a salsa out of that with chopped fresh salsa and uh, chopped fresh shallots and mint and maybe some fennel, whatever. Um, so yeah, I would just experiment with it, but think about the different levels of sweetness. Really sweetness is, I think the one thing that you have to manage more than the acidity here. Um, acid is, you know, acid's going to work if acid is welcome in that dish. Um, Is sweetness gonna work? Maybe, maybe not. So, there you go. Interesting question, Laura. I love the way you think about food, and I really appreciate you joining us, always. Thanks, Ben. Okay, uh, from Hannah. How do you recommend balancing the sourness of citrus so it's bold but not overpowering? Adding zest, so mixing both the juice and the zest is a great way to do it because the zest is a lot more aromatic. It doesn't have the acidity, so you get a lot more of that citrus presence while adding, just by volume, less acid to the dish. Uh, Mixing citrus, as I was just talking uh, to Laura's uh, question there. And the other thing is, as I had mentioned earlier, if you just use juice, well, you're getting the full dose, right? If you use segments where you still have the citrus bound in its cellular structure there, it's going to be a softer presence. It's going to be... A little bit more balanced just due to that and you're also going to get a different presentation of it it's going to pop in the mouth it's not going to be ubiquitous covering the entire salad necessarily as a vinaigrette would if you have those little pieces of segments in there you get lemon lemon while you're chewing the arugula the whole time right so it's more just that's kind of strategy necessarily than recipe so there you go one ingredient three different sort of means to use it. All right, I got time for just like two or three more questions. I appreciate all of you. You're wonderful, and these are great questions. So from Mary Ellen, is there a disadvantage to using an electric knife sharpener? Despite great effort, I'm not getting the knack and skill, and I'm not looking at cooking professionally. Closest professional sharpening service is an hour away. Huh. Well, there are some mail uh, shipped, uh, you ship them out and receive them back. Sharpening services, so that that might work for you, especially if you have enough knives that uh, you can have one out and still have a working uh, sort of crew uh, on hand. So that would be one way to do it. Uh, I'm with you around sharpening knives. You know what? Like I've found in my own career, I went through a long phase where I just lost my monjo. I just lost it. I couldn't do it. There was also many years where I just could not make mayonnaise. I just couldn't do it despite the fact that I I literally made gallons of it every single day, like so good at it. And then for a while, I just couldn't do it. Like, I don't know if my spirit just wasn't in the right place, whatever. So, yeah. So my wife made all the mayonnaise. So we called it Wu mayonnaise, around here. Um, But Hey, I got my mojo back on the mayonnaise, but with knife sharpening, same thing. I don't know what it was, but just like my spirit wasn't into it. Um, And I don't mean to be hokey here, but keep trying and, like meditate on it a little bit, just be present with it. And again, like I'm feeling really hokey right now, but when I sharpen a knife now, like it is my whole and full pursuit at that moment. Like it is just such a Zen thing. So maybe just give yourself over to the moment a little bit, you know, well enough the method and the technique and the 15 degrees and all that stuff. And, just don't overthink it. Kind of go with your heart on it. Keep trying. Or use mail or shipping service. There you go. Hey, I wish you well. All right. Uh, from uh, uh, What's the best way, hi friend. What's the best way to store citrus like lemons, limes? My organic lemons start to mold in four or five days. Thank you. Yeah, i, I put them in the fridge. Um, I'm with you. So organic lemons are oftentimes not waxed. The wax on the coating of them uh, helps to prevent moisture loss, uh, but also bacterial presence and and growth. So, uh, organic lemons especially can, um, mold a little bit faster. They also just dry out and lose some of their vibrancy, uh, and some of their oil, the volatile oils in the peel. So put them in a fridge, you know, or leave them in a cool pantry area of your house. If you've got that, I live in Maine in a farmhouse that was built in 1820. I have a lot of cold areas in my house a lot. And I've got like things stored all over the place. I got all sorts of projects and some herring fermenting over here, et cetera. Anyway, that's my world. So maybe a cool sort of pantry area, looking for something around 55, 60 degrees in your house, if you've got that would be a good place or just in the refrigerator, keep them in the crisper drawer. Thanks, appreciate you. All right, uh, from uh, Ella. uh, What, the best microplane and peeler, best quality brands and types. So for microplane, Get a Microplane. It's like, you know, can I have a Kleenex? It's like, do you want a tissue or do you want a Kleenex? One's a brand, one's the product. Microplane, there's a lot of off brands out there. Some of them are good, like oh, OXO makes one that's really quite good, but stick with the original brand, Microplane. Um, there are a couple of different great uh, sizes. I go with just the classic straightforward one. It, it's served all of my needs forever. Um, and in terms of peelers, I buy these little ones. Uh, let's see. This is a Kuhn Recon, K-U-H-N-R-I-K-O-N, made in Switzerland. Everybody makes these Victorinox, etc. cetera, but they're $4.50, 4 dollars 4 dollars something like that on Amazon, uh, you know, commonly in kitchen stores as well. You do not need to spend more money on them than, than that. Kuhn Recon brand, K-U-H-N-R-I-K-O-N. Um, I've got several of these because I find them hard to find in my drawer, which is rather disorganized. Uh, so I've got a couple of them. Um, and I like the Y peelers. They offer just a lot more control. The, the stick peelers I, I find to be pretty blunt tools, not a lot of finesse to them with these. They have the nice ergonomic handle a lot of control over them. Also, you're not jabbing two rather sharp blades around your hand, right? I mean, you're, you're able to peel slowly, um, with a lot more control and finesse. You can control the depth of the peel a lot better with one of these as well. So really not very expensive, worth having around, and I think safer and does a better job. So there you go. Thanks from Maryam again. Hey friend, when did I decide to become a chef? (laughs) Um, I grew up in a in a neighborhood and a household where food was of the utmost importance. It was an immigrant neighborhood. Uh, most of the people immigrants were had been fleeing civil unrest in their countries: the Sandinista conflict in El Salvador, the civil war and the uprising in Ethiopia, between Ethiopia and Eritrea. Um, you know, these were people that had fled their country not because they wanted to, but. Uh, you know for the sake of their families and themselves and they brought with them their their dignity and their culture and their traditions and in this new world that was how they expressed themselves how they found their place how they communicated who they were but also hope to discover who they are now in this in this new world food was just such an incredibly important fundamental element of the human condition just in this microcosm of experience that I was surrounded by. Um, So the depth of meaning of food was instilled in me very, very early on. Um, And these were people that did not have a lot of money. And so food was, as tends to be, uh, celebratory, purposeful, traditional. um, And just the beauty of that sunk in. It sunk in very deep. And uh, when I graduated from high school and uh, understood that college was just not for me, um, I went into restaurants and I found that a really great place for outlet for my energies and just what I wanted to do. And I love food and I love feeding people. Uh, and it was creative. And I decided uh, on day one, uh, when I started off as a dishwasher, that I wanted to be a chef. And then 10, 11, 12, 13 years later, I decided that I didn't want to be a chef anymore. I'm now a recovering chef. I considered myself a cook, cookbook, author, et cetera. I'm still very active in the restaurant world, but I don't own restaurants. <coughs> and um, yeah, I chose to be here with you now. And I appreciate you inviting me into your world, so thank you. And with that, I'm sorry that I'm not gonna be able to get to the rest of the questions. I've already gone over my time here a little bit. Please join me again here in a couple of weeks. I'll be doing an open office hours uh, event. Uh, You can ask me anything there again. Please join any of our other wonderful instructors and friends. Um, Welcome to the Ruby family if you're new. And also, in closing, I just wanna say thank you to you. As I said at the outset, food food and feeding people is an act of love. It is an act of kindness. And as you know, the world needs a lot more of that these days. And you feed people. You care about them. That's why you're here. So thank you for all that you contribute to your family, to those around you, to our society. Thanks for being a part of the Ruby family and we'll see you again soon. Take care.